0: Uh-huh. Yeah. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Well, not quite. I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Decentralized finance, or DeFi, is one of the most commonly uttered but least understood phrases in the crypto lexicon. At its essence, it refers to the entry of new kinds of market participants aiming to replace banks, stock exchanges, asset managers, insurance providers, and others with automated computer programs running on top of blockchains. The idea is, so it is argued, to create an entirely new infrastructure for finance and in the process, create a new internet of value. But how is this system taking shape, and what are the immediate regulatory challenges? To answer this question, I am delighted to have Rebecca Riddig, the General Counsel of Ave, here to join us. Now, Ave is a decentralized lending system that allows users to lend and borrow and even earn interest on crypto assets, and as such sits on the frontier of an industry that is itself already at the cutting edge. So buckle up as we get an insider's peek at the ever-changing world of decentralized finance. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. DeFi is, as I had mentioned, you know, all about decentralization and at least aspiring to replace the incumbent infrastructure. You know, uh, but it's it's can be kind of complicated, particularly for people who are not that familiar with it. Um, Maybe could you just sort of break it down into sort of baby steps, the 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 kind of component parts of the DeFi ecosystem.
1: Yep. So I'll start at a very very basic level, and I agree with your description of what DeFi is. It's an open and permissionless and interoperable system of what are called smart contract platforms um, that. Uh, seek to replicate the existing financial system in a more open and transparent way. So then the question is, what are smart contracts? Um, Those are the backbone of DeFi. They are self-executing computer programs that are stored on a blockchain that function in a conditional manner. If X happens, then Y will happen. Um, And DeFi protocols are made up of multiple smart contracts that work together and speak to each other. Um, And smart contracts are also automatic and can't really be manipulated by outsiders. So it also makes the new financial system very efficient uh, and also uh, very able to be trusted because you don't need to say, could this person come in, whether it be an intermediary or an interloper, and somehow change the transaction I'm trying to accomplish.
0: That's really interesting. So instead of, say, having a particular kind of market intermediary of the kind that we would normally think about, right? You know, whether on an exchange or maybe a bank or, or some kind of other intermediary, you, you have a, a protocol, like a kind of bundled set of different computer programs or smart contracts, right? And so instead of interacting with those specific intermediaries, you're basically interacting with the protocol, which helps to, in effect, um, consummate whatever kind of financial transaction is 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 taking place now? Now, now all this is is happening on top of of a blockchain. Maybe you can sort of explain why that's the case, and um, you know uh, what are the dominant uh, networks, perhaps uh, for these kinds of systems when they are operating.
1: Sure. So I would actually go all the way back to Bitcoin and say that's the most basic form of DeFi, right? The Bitcoin blockchain is just a peer to peer electronic cash system that. Allows users to send and receive value to and from anyone in the world as long as they have access to the internet and to the Bitcoin blockchain on their computer network. Um, and post Bitcoin, you had a both uh, the Bitcoin network. You had the development of the Ethereum blockchain, which really sought to uh, make a worldwide. Um, Uh, global computer, uh, for lack of a better term. So it's a a shared global computing platform that runs entire software applications. The Bitcoin network isn't meant to be run like that. But when Ethereum was built, it was built through these smart contracts, which can be programmed in a variety of different ways. Um, And so over time, these smart contracts have been programmed in a number of different ways to create these Novel financial protocols, um, where, as you said, users can just interact with software in order to engage in new types of financial transactions.
0: So, so I'm I'm really curious. Just before we take that extra step, because sometimes I I, I do hear you know uh, folks sort of say, well, you know, how much is DeFi? You know, is is Bitcoin DeFi? You know, um, when you think about the Ethereum network um, and the difference between. Uh, that and the Bitcoin blockchain, for example, you know, th- there's there's this functionality that it, that basically allows, as you said, people to to program to to create smart contracts and to you know create the kinds of programs that are the bedrock of a DeFi system. When when you think about something like Bitcoin, where you only have one application, which is basically a, a kind of a money system, right? You know, a kind of a ledger money system. Does that ever rankle some of the fans of DeFi uh, when when they point to Bitcoin?
1: Um, I haven't heard people get rankled about it. I think people like the idea that it's sort of the predecessor and then Ethereum came and opened up this whole new world to everybody else. I mean, I think the thing about Ethereum that's also different than the Bitcoin network is that Bitcoin only has one asset that can be operated on it, which is Bitcoin. Ethereum has countless thousands of uh, ERC-20 tokens, ERC-20 being the programming system that can run through the Ethereum network, which I think makes it um, just able to flourish in a totally different way than the Bitcoin network has been able to and have things be built on top of it.
0: So so, so just then to just kind of wrap up that the, the conversation on, on on the cryptocurrency end of, of, of DeFi, you know, um, when you look at many of the decentralized financed platforms, you know uh, stable coins are really important. Um, and and I think it's useful just to sort of share with our listeners before sort of jumping into some of the more advanced topics. Well, why is it that that stable coins um, are so important in many DeFi systems, especially where you know in theory, you're just dealing with an automated set of of, of smart contracts. Um, And again, where where people are just engaging with those smart contracts instead of engaging with your traditional um, financial intermediaries.
1: Yeah, so stablecoins, I think, are very attractive in the DeFi world because you have a peg and and it gives you some sort of understanding of the consistent value of a type of asset that's running through DeFi. So you can have stablecoins that are pegged to a currency like the US dollar, so like USDC is an extremely popular stablecoin. It is also an ERC-20 token. Um, but that's an extremely popular stablecoin in DeFi. You can also have algorithmic stablecoins whose value changes based on, as it sounds, certain algorithms um, and things like that. But you there's a predictability um, with the price uh, or the value of it that is slightly different than something like a normal ERC-20 token where the there is volatility in the price and you're not quite sure what it can be pegged to. Sometimes you can peg it to something, right? More liquidity in a protocol. Um, and the token related to that protocol has more liquidity. But I think the reason that stable coins are so attractive uh, in DeFi is for some of the the predictability on pricing.
0: Now, obviously, you are the general counsel for Ave, and I think it would be helpful to our listeners uh, if maybe you could walk us through the company and and what it does and how it relates to uh, its device system and underlying protocol
1: yeah, so I'm actually the general counsel for the Ave Companies, which is a group of software development companies. Um, one of the things that the software development companies built is the Ave protocol, but there the protocol doesn't employ anyone, nobody works for the protocol except for you know the users uh, work with the protocol and things like that. but Ave is Um, a non-custodial, decentralized, open-source liquidity protocol that allows for the borrowing and supplying of crypto assets um, and allows you to earn interest on any crypto assets supplied to the protocol. And it is run by a group of um, governance token holders of the Aave token. There are about 70,000 of them. Um, And to the extent they have enough power or enough um, tokens to either create proposals to make changes to the protocol um, or enough tokens to vote on a proposal. Um, they're the ones who do things for the protocols. I honestly am like saying that I'm the general counsel of the Ave companies. It's like saying I'm the general counsel of like, I don't know, not Google because it's probably a little bit bigger and more developed, but really just like any software development company. So I do the same kinds of things in that regard. But one of the things I do think about all the time is, one, the software we're building, what it means to be decentralized. And I think the point that you were really driving at is, well, you developed this protocol, you launched it into the world. What's your continuing involvement, right? Like, do you control it? Do you make changes to it? What do you do?
0: Yeah, basically the, the, the question of DeFi governance, which is okay, you know, um, uh, uh, both as general counsel, but obviously for for those companies.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the question that everybody really needs to be focused on in DeFi is where are you on the spectrum of decentralization. So the day you launch the protocol um, into the world after you've development, as a, after you've developed it as a, a software development company, if you're still holding on to the admin keys for the protocol, and admin keys are something that allows you to shut the protocol down or make changes, or you know, it sounds like you're the administrator. Um, I wouldn't say that the protocol is particularly decentralized from the company that created it. But I think once you get to a certain point where the company has turned the admin keys over to governance and can no longer make changes without the vote of governance and things like that, you're much further along on the decentralized spectrum. I think um, there's also a point where, you know, some... Companies make different decisions. Their employees aren't even allowed to vote in governance. um, Just to make clear that they're really, you know, detached from it. Other companies, you know, will still have continuing involvement in business development or things like that.
0: Right. So, so again, I I just want to make things or or, or keep them as concrete as possible um, for the the uninitiated. Um, So, you know, here we have a protocol. So, let's say uh, if I want to go to this protocol in order to. Uh, borrow money, right? Um, I can interface with this protocol through um, a set of automated, uh, again, smart contracts. Instead of going, you know, let's, let's make it really simple. Instead of going to the bank, and going to the bank teller, and then sort of sitting down with someone and having a conversation, looking at say your 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 books and your collateral or whatever, right? To go through a certain process of getting a loan. Uh, instead, uh, there's a bit of a uh, of, of a robot to make it even simpler, or algorithm, or smart contracts, some form of you know at least automate an automated response where you can go and you can access a range of financial services in some instances, you know uh lending services. Um, now now uh, uh, the question as as you've or the the really interesting point that that you highlighted was how that automated response operates even over time can be one where there is one entity that's always tasked with sort of operating it, or you can have a process, if one will, of distributed, decentralized players who are responsible for the maintenance of that particular automated uh, uh, program, and 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 so what decentralized or decentralization means in this context is how big and uh, broad and beautiful that world is when it comes to the management of the protocol. Is, is that a good enough for government work understanding or, or is there something else that, that you think is is useful when thinking about what uh, decentralization means for DeFi?
1: Yeah, so two useful things. One, anybody could get onto a DeFi protocol as long as they have access to crypto. You literally, the robot you're referring to is your computer. Um, <laughs> you can just go on through a user interface and there are tons um, and look for to be able to plug into the protocol that way. So you do not even need to be particularly tech savvy, which is why I think DeFi is attractive from a neutralizing differences in wealth um, perspective um, and a financial inclusion perspective that people talk about. As far as decentralization, I think there are two pieces to it. The way you described it is perfect, right? There's no one central intermediary who does everything. You have this diffuse group of actors who are making decisions decentralization also just refers to the way that the protocol runs on top of ethereum because ethereum itself is completely decentralized so I think there are two pieces to it
0: yeah that's that that that's that's a really good point um you know uh, just following up on that first uh, issue you know as we sort of transition to some of the the, the interesting legal questions you know uh, as as you said um it, it's pretty easy you know let's say if you want to engage with a decentralized exchange or DEX or something, right? You know, uh, you can basically go through your, you know, through a web browser uh, to access uh, a decentralized exchange. You know, you can use, you know, MetaMask or, or, or uh, you know, a, a wallet uh, or um, um, some different, different kinds of ledgers to, to access a de- decentralized exchange. And, and you don't necessarily have to have an account um, with that protocol or, or with that uh, DEX. And and this then, of course, is is creating all kinds of interesting questions. Um, The most recent iteration of the many questions that are probably yet to come is in the uh, AML and KYC sort of uh, anti-money laundering uh, space. Um, And this is creating a a, a range of questions, you know, as as to the degree to which a know-your-customer supervision should be applied to Entities that are uh, interfacing with 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 the dex. Um, Now, this is all very novel stuff. um, uh, But why do you think that's been the first set of questions raised Um, when you get into decentralized uh, finance? You can think of uh, many. I'm in the process of. Writing my securities law exams, so it doesn't take too long to come up with some interesting hypotheticals to, you know, uh, insert uh, horror into the minds of of uh, two and three Ls around the, the the country. But but why do you think any money laundering has been sort of the first phase of of, of issues and questions that are raised? And and and, and do you see any others uh, on the horizon that are uh, sort of the most likely subsequent questions?
1: So I do think that. The AML KYC concerns have been very pressing um, because there is just an inherent uh, pseudonymity that comes along with crypto that you're not identifying people. Um, directly by their names or their countries or things like that. So you have no idea if they're in what you would think of as an OFAC band country, right? So you, Chris, could be sitting in DC and you could be interacting with somebody from North Korea and you literally have no way of knowing it. Um, so I think that is just an inherent issue with crypto that people have been really focused on. I do think regulators in the United States have been pretty focused on DeFi Um, at least behind the scenes, and even more recently, very publicly in terms of educating themselves, learning how it works. And so to your point, the SEC is not sleeping on DeFi. They have definitely been thinking about it and figuring out where those securities laws concerns are. And same with the CFTC. I think what everyone is struggling with, and for anyone who's heard me speak on this in the past, I apologize because it's sort of what I talk about a lot, but You know, all the regulations we have to date reference persons. So, natural persons um, and identifiable entities. um, And uh, sometimes, even, you know, an unaffiliated group of individuals could theoretically fall under persons in certain of the, the statutes that I'm referring to. But ultimately, none of our regulations, our financial regulations, have contemplated regulating software as the primary actor right? Because software isn't making independent decisions. And so I think that's why there's been a bit of a lag um, in terms of uh, other regulators coming out to say, this has to happen or that has to happen. Um, And I think with AML KYC, it's just so much more blatant. Like You don't know who you're interacting with. You could be. That being said... There are some other pieces to it, which is I think of crypto as a clo- or DeFi as a closed system. We live in a fiat-dominated world right now, and so you can't get into or out of crypto without changing um, your normal currency into cryptocurrency or crypto assets. And the way you do that is through these centralized actors, whether it be a, a Coinbase, a Gemini, a traditional money transmitter, and they're all subject to the Bank Secrecy Act and have these KYC obligations so, um, frequently, um, you will have, uh, the on-ramps and the offerings into DeFi conducting the KYC.
0: Yeah. You know, you, you, the, the question as to the novelty is, is super interesting, right? I mean, again, it's not hard to think about, well, you know, when you regulate something, you're usually thinking about things like liability. And so, you know, what does liability mean? You know, in a world where y- you have these traditionally regulated entities that are more or less de- uh, disintermediated by smart contracts. You know, um, you know. So, what does you know? When you think about things like in- basic concepts like intent, you know, what does intent mean with where you're dealing with a, a computer program or, an- or 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 an algorithm? You-, you know, um, when you think about the the any particular kind of analogies. Um, you know, we do have, say, the world of high frequency trading um, where you know, you do have some, I guess, automated uh, trading um, and, and and you certainly have algorithmic trading. You know, are, are there tools or traditions or concepts? That allow or, or or that could be leveraged as a starting point for for thinking about um, DeFi. Um, or, or, you know how, how useful is that space when you when you think about you know oversight of of a decentralized um, economy.
1: I think it is a great starting point because when you think of high frequency trading, there's a centralized actor behind the bots right um there's somebody who's making decisions and things like that and so this goes back to this traditional versus you know tradfi as sometimes people call it or legacy finance and defi um whereas in this legacy financial system you have intermediaries or people who are acting and and then you can make a decision right they can make decisions and you can regulate them When you're in this group where, to the point we talked about earlier, you have 70,000 token holders voting on a proposal, I mean, that's highly decentralized. And I'm not sure how you regulate that. And I think that regulators are still really trying to drill down on on how we do it.
0: So when when you look forward, I mean, you are really at the uh, forefront of of all this and you're thinking about the regulatory questions, and, and at the same time, you're the general counsel for software companies who are actively deployed in the space. I mean, how do you look at the development of the sector? I mean, both in terms of its, its growth, and, and, and what do you see as, as the primary drivers and, and, and the primary uh, obstacles uh, for, for growth?
1: So, the primary drivers for continued growth is that institutions are really starting to think about crypto in general and also about DeFi. And one of the things that's happening in the DeFi space is that there is this concept of creating permissioned protocols. So, it goes to the AML KYC issue that you were talking about, which is you'll have wallets being whitelisted to be able to interact in the protocol. The software will look exactly the same as the permissionless protocol. So, you could have a, a permissioned and a permissionless version of the same protocol, but you'll have um, actors in the permissioned one all being KYC AML'd and they'll all know that they're interacting with each other and feel safe about it because it will comply with their BSA obligations, whether they're a hedge fund, a bank or whatever they may be. Um, so I think that's going to be a huge driver of growth. Um, there's just a lot of interest coming into the space in that way, and a lot of solutions come trying to be put forward to this permissioned um, DeFi. So as far as the op- obstacles, I think to your point is if it's, I don't want to say that you can't regulate DeFi because that's just not true. But if it's regulated improperly in a way that does not align with how the technology really works, it's going to be a problem. So there are lots of different ways to think about regulation. And I think there are a lot of players in this space, including thinking about creating self-regulatory bodies um, to put forward the right word, standards for how to even build protocols and think about regulation and all these concerns we've been talking about in it. Um, but if you regulate it improperly and you actually try to turn software development companies into financial intermediaries, I think that's gonna be a huge detractor.
0: Well, you you know, I I must say that it's kind of interesting that, you know, or or maybe it's ironic that it's institutions that are becoming much more interested in DeFi, uh, given uh, sort of what it's intended to do. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: If you really pay attention to the latest developments in financial technology, you come to realize that though the risks and dangers you hear about are often very familiar to the kinds of red flags raised in the past about traditional finance, the infrastructure can be really quite different. And as a result, a serious engagement with it requires thinking through not only how it operates, but also whether the individual pieces are incented to behave in a socially optimal or economically rational manner. And then you have to ask whether or not regulation is needed to patch any holes. Now, in the case of DeFi, it's clear that autonomous smart contracts can certainly disintermediate legacy infrastructures, and it should be a little surprised that a lot of concerns will be raised, especially where that infrastructure involves intermediating other people's money which means that regulation in some form or another is a near certainty. The only question is how to operationalize oversight in a world where contemporary strategies might at best be indirect or even worse, ineffective. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer, D-R. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.